This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. You guys are, are trading places, not trading places, but uh, 48 hours fans, right? right. Boys are back in town. Them go blog, round table crew, Sands. Uh, I don't know. Where is Craig Ross this morning, fellas? You guys know? Well, I had to, uh, he might be waiting for a link. So if Ms. sends him a link. I sent him the link yesterday. I, I didn't know that I had to send you the link, though, as well, too, <laughs> until I saw my email. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's Let's send Craig Ross a link, another link, and we'll we'll I'll get send him it on. again. He'll we'll meander he's... in at some yeah. point. You may right? have to send it by mail. I don't know if he uses. <laughs> do, we have right? carrier, do we have carrier pigeons, uh, Sklar Brothers? Craig Ross is old. He remembers the bubonic plague. <laughs> Appreciate. You know, funny, I, I mentioned the boys are back in town. This is a complete tangent. I'm introing you guys, and I go off on this tangent. But boys are back in town was exactly what the coach at Springfield High School said to me about Michigan. Why is that relevant? Because the coach at Springfield High School is Aaron Scott's coach. Aaron Scott is the number one player in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Coach at Springfield, which I mentioned before, is Mo Douglas, who was the coach at Tribewood Madison, who sent Mike McCray, Mike Shaw, Rian Dawson, Roy Roundtree, Brandon Moore, all these guys who are actually good recruits. I mean, they made Roy had a great Michigan career, I think. Uh, Moore got hurt. I, and, uh, you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mike McCray had a good career, but this dude was sending guys to Michigan routinely when they were getting pummeled by Ohio State. And so as Michigan is back in the state hard, he said, oh, yeah, the boys are back in town. Meaning, yeah, it's an open door. Open door over here at Springfield. So I'm actually going to be down in Ohio this weekend, you know, down in the belly to be. So I'm interested to see the reaction, you know, what, how they're really feeling on the ground down there in Columbus. I can't wait to see that. There's Craig Ross, who joins us in the room right now. I thought I was fired. (laughs) All right, so now now I can do the intro, starting with uh, the man who started it all, and them go blog, one Mr. Brian Cook. Brian, how are you this morning? I'm good. Well, I never know which one to say. (laughs) Of course, as we were talking before you came on, we were in the break, and I know Seth Fisher was fired up, too, because he's a huge Tiger fan and very, very frustrated. Hopefully you've calmed down from that. Well, here's, uh, Seth, here's the thing, you? Sam. I'm, uh, I, 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 I picked up a National League team. I, I have a National League fandom now because, like, the Tigers have been so unwatchable. So I became a Mets fan. And I, I, like, been, I, I, I actually was a Mets blogger at one point. And, like, the you one team they can beat uh, all of a sudden. <laughs> like, they got Verlander, they got Scherzer, and I'm, like, Mets, down there Mets, ready Mets. to, like, <laughs> cheer on my guys, like, here – it's it's all you boys now. We're all Mets do fans. They do that? And the, and the Tigers beat them. Do yeah, they do the Mets M-E-T-S, Mets, Mets, Mets? Like, yeah, they do. No. 
No, they have the goofiest song. <laughs> you want to talk about fight songs? Meet the no. Mets. Meet the. It's the goofiest, funniest song. They got the baseball head guy, right? With yeah. The, with the, yeah. 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 It's well, and Craig Ross, who uh, makes his his entry onto the round table, and Venice nine hundred two by ninety one says that jacket, Craig, is fire. Thank you. Well, I, over there. I think I think Dave Nasternak bought me this, so he gets the credit. So All anyway, right. the uh, yeah, no, I'm a Guardians fan. They stink as bad as the Tigers this year. So, uh, but I'm used, you know, they've been you know watchable at least for the last fifteen or twenty years, yeah. which is better than the Tigers, who've mostly been unwatchable. Well, fellas, so much to get into this week. Let's just start off first with a critique of Jim Harbaugh that a an opposing coach better not ever utter again. He better not ever talk about player development at, at Michigan. Nine players, nine players drafted. Uh, only team, what, I think it was only Bama and Georgia were better Brian. in this draft. Uh, Brian, I mean, guys come to Michigan under Jim Harbaugh's watch. They get developed. They go to the league. Well, I remember when Lou Schoonmaker was a recruit, and I was like, he's just this quarterback from Connecticut or something. And I was like, all right, well, he's getting drafted. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's like a Jim Harbaugh tight end. It's like, all right, well, he's it's fine. I don't care about his recruiting ranking. He's going in the second round of the draft because that's what happens, um, particularly at that spot in general. But <clears throat> and the crazy thing is if you look at next year's draft, like Michigan has, I think the Athletic just came out with the uh, – Mock draft. Michigan has two first rounders in that: Chris Jenkins and JJ McCarthy. Then you have uh, Blake Corum. You have Donovan Edwards, who I kind of think is a guy who will be looked at in the first round next year because he's the kind of guy that the NFL likes as a running back. So the you look at the departing talent and you're like, okay, we don't recruit like Georgia and Bama, so this might be a little bit of an off year. Nope, <laughs> because you could have more guys go in next year's draft. Man, it's crazy that you you bring up uh, you know, the athletic. They're, they're talking to someone uh, in the know when they talk about Michigan's draftable prospects because you know, every year I talk to a couple agents and they'll go over all the draftable guys. And I remember this past year, one of the guys uh, was asking me about Schoonmacher. And he was like, hey, man, our scouts are super high on Schoonmacher. They think he's one of the best tight ends in the country as a blocker and i'm thinking to myself i mean that that's the part of his game that i felt like needed to come along the most and you look at the draft he's a second round pick well i bring that up because before this past season they were asking about chris jenkins yeah like like chris jenkins they were they were talking about chris jenkins like maybe he could he was a draftable guy in this draft so i mean the the stock for the scouts is very high on him heading into his final year well, and a lot of this is, I think, Ben Herbert stuff, right? Because Chris Jenkins comes in. He's like 260. 234. He's got the bloodline. <clears throat> well. <laughs> That's, yeah, he was think, 234 his, listed as a freshman. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So he's 234, but he's got the bloodlines, right? His, his dad was an NFL player. His uncle's an NFL player. And then you put him around Ben Herbert. And I think there's two reasons that Michigan is on that freaks list that Feldman puts out every year. One of them is they give Feldman all the access he could possibly want. <laughs> and two is that they really do have a lot of guys who are athletic freaks. So you have DJ Turner, who is a three-star recruit, I think, who shows up at the combine and posts the fastest 40 time for a corner. So Michigan 
like Schoonmacher tested out of this world too. So these are guys who are not big recruits, but by the time they exit Michigan, they are maximized athletically and they are holding their own with Bama and Georgia in terms of combine success. So yeah, I think Ben Herbert has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I mean, the one thing it's why I don't get too really worked up over recruiting ratings, uh, especially in the Harbaugh area era, because they have been able to find kids who have upside and they've been able to develop that upside. And, and so, yeah, it's nice to get five-star guys and uh, we all want them or high four-star guys. But the truth is Harbaugh and this staff has, has been really good at finding guys under the rocks, sometimes well under the rocks, uh, you know, talk, you know, who've, who've worked out guys like uh, uh, Haskins uh, our wide receiver who I'm blocking on, who went in the seventh round, uh, I think will be a good, uh, NFL right player. Now. Yeah. I mean, those guys were guys outside of the top thousand outside of the top 1500, but they saw the upside in them and, and, and the upside panned out and Herbert has a lot to do with that. Um, but yeah, so I, mean, I agree. It is nice to have Will Johnson around. Like it's great to have Will Johnson. I'm not saying and, it is. And JJ and, and Blake and Donovan. Yeah. Right. yeah. There you go. <laughs> Not out the wheel. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, it is great, but it but uh, but I don't think you necessarily need to panic. Uh or fans need to panic if if they see a guy who's a two-star guy. Well, they're prob- most of the time there's been some reason. I'm, I mean, I'm well, going over I this think- class and you, mm-hmm. there are guys like there's you can't fake things at cornerback. Now, DJ Turner is very interesting from a Herbert perspective because that's a guy that Georgia passed on. He was playing at was it Gwinnett or he was playing one of those. I think so. Under- like yeah, his entire yeah. secondary went to college. His entire secondary so. was going to to SEC schools, and they were going to move mm-hmm. him to safety. And people were like, "Oh, I guess if you're moving him to safety in high school, I guess he doesn't have the speed." So he went to IMG to get away from a stacked uh, secondary, and everyone read that as okay, he's not fast. I think we comped him to Brandon Watson based off of his recruiting profile because we're like, this is what a guy looks like when he, you know, can't run. And then that guy goes out and puts a 4.28, was it? Or 4.2? 4.26. Was yeah. that him or was that Perry? Because I thought Perry was the guy in that class who we thought couldn't run. Well, Perry was well, the other was, guy in that class who thought could run. I, I believe his verified time was something like 4.67. So you, okay. you got to give, this is maybe the best example of physical development that Ben Herbert can put forth is DJ Turner because he fixed DJ Turner. DJ Turner, for the better part of his high school career, had a serious, it was, he had a glute issue that couldn't be, I mean, it was, it was what hindered him. He was always on the training table, never full speed. He got to Michigan. He was balling out in fall camp his freshman year. I remember hearing about it, and then they get to the season. He's not on the field. It was his glute again. It bothered him for a year and a half at Michigan. And he got into some – Herbert put him into some kind of regimen, so stretching and strengthening. He figured out what the issue was, and he fixed it. And when he fixed that glute problem, this dude, his speed was off the charts. So if you want to talk – you want to see a tangible example of the impact of Ben Herbert, I give you DJ Turner. Well, and then, I mean, you got Mozzie, you got Jenkins, you got Aiden Hutchinson, who – you know, came committed to Michigan as a three-star and was blowing up his entire senior year, but he went from, you know, a pretty good prospect to the number two pick in the draft. Like at this point, I think he's the highest paid S and C coach in the nation and he should be 
Like, do, do you know how nice it is to have nobody in the Michigan fan base complaining about strength and conditioning? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Remember when Mike? There were there were wars about Mike Kittleson. Yeah. <laughs> there was like the story about the guy, the 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 alignment who had to wake up at midnight and eat a whole pizza, and I was like, Pat Massey, right? Well, I don't remember. I think it was Pat. It was Pat it was. Massey, and uh, and yeah, like they were trying to bulk him up into offensive tackle when he was six. Yeah, the eight, six foot is... eight defensive tackle. There were more you issues than Gittleson. Oh god, I, I, I hate to bring that up about Pat Matt, but every time I hear Pat Massey's name, I think about the Rose Bowl and shaking off Vince Young shaking off his tackle the tip. Like, damn it, that was the game. That was yeah. the game, but that was Vince Young, so you know he gets a grade on a curve for that one. Aiden <laughs> <laughs> Hutchinson right. might have missed on Vince Young as well. It's uh, right, right. But yeah. I mean, back back to it, like you know, it's like there has not been a point in my Michigan fandom where there has not been at least one lunatic posting over and over on a message board about how Michigan strength and conditioning is a total disaster, and this like. This era of of Ben Herbert is long may it last. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the real deal, highest paid in the country for for a reason. I mean, deservedly so. He absolutely gets it done, and I I think for to back to your point, Craig. You know, I, I think you know coaches have to earn, or at least from fans, from fans, when it comes to how they react to recruiting rankings, have to earn the benefit of the doubt. And these guys, you know, they have certainly earned that. Um, especially at the positions like offensive line, you should never question Michigan's O line evals. You should never question their their um, you know their tight end evals, right? I mean, they they just knock those absolutely out of the park. And I'd argue, um, you know, that with the corners that they developed, because I, I didn't mention Steve Klinkscale. Steve Klinkscale had a lot to do with it as well, because the glute issue was fixed before Klink got here, and and DJ Turner was still on the bench. And so he was able to uh, get more out of him as well. They have just really rounded out this staff fully. And that's why, you know, when you see Michigan guys hit the portal, they're, they're depth chart guys. They're, you know, backups like R.J. Moten or their third string or beyond like the other guys. Meanwhile, you flip over to Michigan State, fellas, you got starters. <laughs> you got starters jumping in the portal. What do you make of Peyton Thorne jumping in the portal and leaving? Keon Coleman? In the portal, he uh, seemed like he made official his departure yesterday. I know the Brantley guy, the corner, he decided to come back, but seems well, like all everything isn't rosy up in East Lansing these days, fellas. No, I bet what happened with Brantley is like, I'm the starting quarterback on a Big Ten team. I'm going to go see if there's any interest in me. And people were like, we saw your secondary last year. No. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, the interesting thing about Brantley is when he left, the Many Michigan State fans were like, "Yeah, he's worthless. Yeah, he's worthless. We don't need him." Yesterday, yeah. he became Charles Woodson. All of a sudden, Brantley is Charles Woodson after the day before. You know, he he wasn't even anyone they they were considering. I I found that somewhat amusing. I mean, but it's, Pey it's Peyton bad. Thorne. I think is a good player. I, I mean, I I mean, he's not great, but he's he's a good Big Ten quarterback, and that's a to me a real loss for that program and. Keon Coleman's obviously a loss. So. Yeah, well, I mean, you... I thought Coleman was a little bit of a one-trick pony last year, but that's a mm -hmm. good trick. Like yeah. Michigan had to to double him in the second half, and they were able to do that because they didn't have anything else. But I mean, the portal gaveth to Mel Tucker, and now it's takeneth away. And <laughs> the post-spring departure 
of starters is like that's a five alarm fire because like if you if these happened immediately after the season you're like all right it just wasn't working out but to go through spring practice and then decide to bail is kind of like i think they might have seen what was happening with this team and they're like i don't want to be on a three and nine team yeah and i mean Peyton really... Thorne's going to like auburn right so or, or that's and, the uh... word was that official is that official I don't know if it's official. Uh, yet. There's I have, rumored, but yeah. not official. I don't think. Yeah, but I, his is 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 really interesting to me, Seth. And pick up on this because they, uh, I know you do a lot of the opponent previews. They've been talking like the the Kim guy. What is his name? Noah Kim. Like mm-hmm. you know, he's better than Peyton Thorne, and like it's a real battle, and he might beat Peyton Thorne out. And I'm looking at the guy be a multi year starter. Uh, the year before making a, I mean, looking like one of the better quarterbacks uh, in the Big Ten. No, he had a great running game. But that guy went from a hero to a bum seemingly overnight in the eyes of a lot of Spartan fans. Is that just convenient? Yeah, I mean, or or are they re- is Kim really supposed to be that good? They Spartan fans want to be like they they want their team to be consistently good. And Peyton Thorne, the problem with him is he throws a great deep ball. Like if it's gonna just be him and Keon Coleman, like that could that, that's your best chance to beat Michigan. Is just you remember like some of the throws that he beat us with, like at fourth and six that they got us. Yeah, with beautiful shot. Yeah, he throws a beautiful deep ball, very catchable. It's right on target, and everything else is terrible. He doesn't really read anything. You can't put um you, you can't put a lot of things on him pre-snap, and I think Thorne had something to do with it too because he gets into spring practice and they're like, you're going to compete with this guy, and you know there's also Cat and Hauser coming up who I think they got a pretty good. I think he was a pretty good recruit. So they have no, some other... No, I mean... like he, he, the Thorne third, does not want to compete for his job that he's had for two years. Their spring game, it was clear that Peyton Thorne was their starter. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, there was a big gap between him and the other two quarterbacks. Like, there was... He was not really competing for a job. He had the job. And he just... He was out. Isn't that mysterious, then? I mean... Assuming, as I assume, that Thorne was the definite leader and and the almost certain starter, unless he blows up at the be- you know badly at the beginning of the season, why is he leaving? Because it's mean, because they're a bad team. I mean, maybe nope. that's it. Nobody's a better scout than a current than a. I mean, you know this when you play someone in basketball is the best way to tell how good of a basketball player they are, right? Yeah, no one's true. a better scout than someone you play with. You know the guys you play with better than anybody. So he's looking around, and Keon Coleman's doing the same thing. They're looking around at this team, and they're going, what are we going to do this year? And, I mean, it's the same and thing that Deion Sanders did when he inherited a uh, Mel Tucker uh, roster, roster, right? He looked around at the talent that, that, that they brought in that was sitting around in Colorado, and he goes, i got to get rid of all of this. So, Well, I mean, I think one factor may be that he just was getting like lit up in practice. I guess they don't make quarterbacks live, but he – I, it's possible that their offensive line is just going to be a sieve this year, and he's like, I don't want to put myself through that. It's been a sieve the last two years. I know. Maybe he's just sick of being like completely crushed in the pocket. Yeah. Or maybe he feels like, man, disrespected. Uh, uh, more, more by the idea that this is a competition than he is uh, the fans kind of saying, ah, he, isn't, he isn't that good. I mean, Mel Tucker was very out there saying, hey, this this is a wide open thing. And, and I, I take that different than I take, you know, Jim Harbaugh saying that with Kay McNamara. He had J.J. McCarthy behind him. Mm-hmm. And these guys behind Peyton Thorne don't look like J.J. McCarthy to me. No, they look. I mean, Kim had a couple of cameo appearances last year where he looked kind of mediocre, um, like, you know, Illinois 
quarterback level, not Michigan State quarterback level. <clears throat> and Hauser, just people are trying to start the hype train there, and it just seems like he's just not ready yet if he's ever going to be. But yeah, I think you get a lot of spin out of the certain Spartan sources. And so they're saying like, ah, these guys, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're just trying to keep in with their program and like get whatever like coaching talk they can get. So I feel like they're, I mean, this is pretty much a five alarm fire for Michigan state. And they signed Mel Tucker to a bazillion year contract. That's entirely guaranteed like two years ago. (laughs) So, and the recruiting class has four guys in it. Like one of whom then their best recruit is definitely going to decommit. Yeah, <laughs> like, nobody expects them. They got four guys in their class. Well, like their their coaching staff is also bolted too, and I think that might be part of. It. I don't know if that's part of it at the quarterback, but like Coach BT was like the thing, right? And Michigan was getting five stars to come visit here because they were on their way to Michigan State to go and train with that guy. You knew he was going to get picked up by an NFL team eventually. The Seahawks did pick him up, so you know that was Brandon Jordan. I think his name is like he was a great trainer. He was a guy that like. NFL players were coming to to work with, and that put Michigan State on the map for a while. And they had a lot of guys. If you look at their, you know, their two four seven profiles, who who visited Michigan State, it's like a who's who on the defensive line. And it's all because they were looking, they're going to visit that guy. They also lost their other defensive line coach too. So I think that like the staff there too is just taking a big step backwards. And what was the other thing that Michigan State had? They had Coach PT, and they had. NIL. They were going to be offering people, uh, you know, compensation on the same level as SEC teams. That was going to be the the promise, right? We're going to play the game as well as anybody else, and I respected that. That's what you that's what you should be doing. But when you're offering money and people are coming to you for money, they can leave for money as well. So if somebody's looking at Keon Coleman and saying, "I really need a receiver," and if Keon Coleman came up from I forget what town he is in Louisiana, but it's it's one of those great, it's one of those fun names to say, right? And uh, he's coming up from Louisiana because he's going to get paid by Michigan State, and then someone else is going to pay him more. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah, that that's right. The interesting thing, I don't know if we mentioned it, was the FOIA. Michigan State lost their FOIA case, and and they and they didn't want to reveal uh, where Mel Tucker's money was coming from. And it's and they what they were trying to do was kind of pretend it was coming from. Uh, Matt Ishbia and uh, another donor, and it turns out it's mostly not. Of the 95 million, 20, uh, 71 million is guaranteed by Michigan State. <clears throat> so they're really, you know, they're going to live or die with Mel here, and because they're not really, at least in the sh- in the next year or two, the next few years, they're not really going to be in a position to go in another direction. Uh, yeah, this, man. This money is is school guaranteed. Appaloosa, yeah, Appaloosa, Louisiana, Far- aka the slop. It's <laughs> farcical. Listen, watching Michigan State fans talk about Mel Tucker being on the hot seat. Like he, he's not. He's yeah. <laughs> no chance. He they owns can, I mean, the hot seat. <laughs> right. I if mean, it, if his seat's that, hot, he can just change the setting on the seat. <laughs> yeah, he's he can't. Yeah, they can't get rid of him because there's just. Too much, too much money there, and then they're going to have to hire another guy. No, for another, whatever it is, eight, nine, ten million a year ain't happening. He's there. I mean, yeah. no one has ever been more secure at this moment than Mel Tucker. Yeah, I think you, you just made a great point, Seth, that I want to seize upon because it. We talk so much nil. We're going to talk it with Hunter, who made it official 
Yeah. Um, that he's out of here. I think NIL has a lot to do with that. Um, you need to have good NIL. Uh, you know, Michigan's made some progress. They need to make more. But to your point, Seth, if that's the reason you get a player, mm-hmm. very easy to lose them for that. It's like, it's like marrying a mistress. You know, you lose her how you got her, right? right. So it's one of those things where, you know, <laughs> you gotta kind of be careful with when you when you talk about NIL, where you place it among the, the factors that lure players in. If it's if it's the factor, then in a in the age of roster vol- volatility, that's another factor that'll really lend a lot to it. Yeah. Uh- yeah, I mean, got to have a program culture, right? Like Michigan seems to have a pretty good program culture, and Michigan State right now doesn't seem like they have it. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Feeling really, really good about the maize and blue. Feeling really, really good about the recruiting class, number one in the country, and they are not done. Uh, it feels like uh, it's just the train is picking up steam as they head into uh, late spring and then into the summer months where, um, you know, going to have a lot of, Big time official visitors coming up in the month of June. This is just, you know, fellas, I think I may have asked you this before. Do you think Michigan will have a, a top five finish? Way things are, are trending, I, I feel more and more like you should bet on that. You should bet on the top five finish uh, because there, there are more top two, four, seven guys on the horizon. Just let me let you know that. Well, so, I mean, uh, linebacker recruiting, the, I, I just updated our, our, our board, right? And this is just based off of like the stuff that you guys can put out for free. And it's like very different names and very different feeling of how we're doing. Like all of a sudden, Chow's and Beasley seem like they're in the class. And, you know, they're, they already have Curtis. And um, there's like, I think, three or four other guys that it looks like they have a really good shot at. That wasn't the, that wasn't the case a couple months ago. Yeah, free press headline. Uh, yesterday, we'll get to a break. It said, why does it feel like Michigan State is falling farther behind Michigan State? It feels like. <laughs> what do you mean feels like? That's kind of like that's what's happening more and more by the day. They're falling farther and farther behind, which is great to see, uh, great to feel, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with those Sparties. We need to get to a break. When we come back on the other side, uh, a little bit about Hunter, but we're going to get over into some hockey is something that we anticipated would happen did happen. Billy McCall uh, decided to uh, leave the program and speaks to me that it wasn't with a definite destination in mind. So we will tackle that for a return here on the Michigan Insider. M. Goblar Roundtable, Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket. Clear on radio. Sam, how are you on the Lions draft? I sat with (laughs) Ira in the softball game on Saturday and he said you just did not like this draft and I'm sort of stuck between Scylla and Charybdis. So uh, one one of my good friends who's a lifetime Lions fan just hated this draft and metaphorically wants to have homes drawn and quartered and another my law partner Kent Weichman loved the Lions draft thought it was really creative and really made complete complete sense so i mean my my response is a, is a nuanced one I, I like the players they got i don't like where they got them okay uh, in the, in the first round i mean uh, to me i like jameer gibbs i think he's a terrific player i like the plan that they're putting forth but i'm going to take a run i wasn't in favor of until i realized they were going to trade deandre swift then take the best running back you could have taken the best running back in the draft at number six. Why are we trading down to number 12 to, to do that, right? Yeah, and, and and then at 18, I, I, we talked about Jack Campbell. I've been talking about Jack Campbell for weeks. Like, I want, you know, I was looking at him 
being a pick for the Lions in the second round. Yeah, right. Brett but Coleman picked that, him for Michigan for, for the Lions pick too. He was like the, the most Lions guy in the draft. Like everyone yeah, knew like the Lions Campbell. were going to take I think, him. I think Jack Campbell's going to be a good yeah. pro. Is he going to be an every down linebacker? Remains to be seen. But you you got Kalijah Cansey right behind him. I, I I would have taken. I mean, to me, I just would have gone defense. What would have been so terrible about taking the uh, Tyree Wilson and then Cansey and shoring up the biggest problem on the on the team? Yeah, I, I like I like the Brian Branch pick. That I was a too. terrific pick in the second yeah. round. I'm hoping I that Sam, look, I, I'm just it, just in general, I'm against taking tight ends in the first two rounds of the NFL yeah. draft. Yeah. Sam Laporta might wind up being a guy, uh, and I kind of amended that because the Lions had three second round picks. Say, hey, if you want to take a tight end somewhere in the second round, fine. Once you fill the other needs, they took him with the first pick in the second round. Like, all right. You know, it's just the, the slotting just seemed off to me, but they, they got guys who I think all those guys will help them. Now, how much yeah. remains to be seen? So, yeah, uh, I, I, I just don't know. But I mean, look at it this way. Assume Gibbs is equal to DeAndre Swift. If that's true, if they're basically the same guy over over the short to near term, midterm, then what you did was trade the one six for Laporta. Who is probably not even the best tight end in the draft. Well, Holmes kind of talked about it. He said they they thought they'd be able to sign re-sign Jamal Williams, and they learned the hard way that you know you can't count your chickens for their hatch. Yeah. And so DeAndre Swift is in the contract year. If he has, if he does what guys do in the contract year, right? Yeah. Now you're going to be on the hook with for a big contract with him after you just paid David Montgomery a lot of money. So I, yeah, I, the, the logic was sound for taking a running back, realizing they were going to trade Swift. I just don't know why you. If you got a chance to take the best one, why don't you just take the best one? So yeah. anyway, I, I know Brian, his ears are bleeding. Listen to us talk Lions. So. Uh, yeah, talking uh, <laughs> NFL draft. <laughs> hey, I, Brian's ears bleed a lot. That's yeah, what here's what. So people want to know. Uh, Scott said he asked this question five times, so I, I, or seems like it. So I want to get it to you guys. Zach Marshall, you guys think he sees the field this year? Uh, not me. I mean, he, four games. You know, he'll get his four games. What? He'll get his four, four games because that's what they do with those guys. He and Tony Elliott, don't don't sleep on Tony Elliott. I started watching him, some of his film, too, and they got a couple okay. good guys uh, at tight end. But, you know, Marlon Klein's coming up. You're going to see him starting work into the – because uh, he took a red shirt. Uh, they're going to use Hibner a lot more this year. They still Bredesen. They got Barner. They got Loveland. They have tight ends on this team. Yeah, Colston. Yeah. I, I sat down for Colston uh, for one of the behind-the-uniform uh, deals, and he was like, listen, Matt Hibner is the fastest guy we have in the room. It's not close. He's <laughs> like, man, that dude can run. Yeah. Really, really run. And so, you know, I hope to see it. Hope to see it on the field. I'm, I'm watching the TCU. I'm, I'm break. I'm UFRing the TCU game this week because of Hibner. Because, like, I have no data on Hibner. And I went and I started to go look at that guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I got to – because I knew he played a bunch in the TCU game. And he's had a per- couple couple good plays so far. So, yeah, I can, I can see it now. I was having a hard time finding it before. Yeah, they've got they're loaded at tight end, so I don't with you know, so I I don't see Marsh. I mean, like you say, he might get his four games and probably will, but beyond that, I don't I don't see it. So Brock Bowers might be, you know, are there exceptions to me? Kyle Pitts was an exception to my tight end rule. He's like not like a typical tight end, and I, you know, Brock Bowers is not Kyle Pitts, but he's also (laughs) not your typical tight end. Like he's better than. TJ Hawkinson ever will be. I got that. That's what I mean. You're your typical tight end. Sam Laporte is your typical tight end. You know, if you give me an atypical guy, then I might amend that. But you know, 
generally speaking, you look at the NFL, the best tight ends are third round or later. That's just how it goes. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you have taken Mike Meyer and Meyer anyway? Doesn't he have a, a greater upside? Yeah, than the exactly. <laughs> I mean, you got to teach the, if yeah. you're going to be the Lions and you're building your whole team around the fact that you run the ball because you know Goff is is Goff. He's going to be so good at, at quarterback, but he's not going to carry your team, right? The running game carries uh, this, this team. You need a tight look. Like a I told you guys back then when it was reported that the deal was signed that it wasn't signed <laughs> that you know they were. Something they were going to keep talking about. I have not heard that a, a deal has been a new deal has been signed yet. So he's talking about back the question about Harbaugh's contract. Right, right, fellas. Just real quick because we have already talked about the the Hunter Dickinson topic, but he made it official that he's out with his message on Twitter last night. Um, said, "Hey, he hopes people understand uh, down the line, but he is going to announce his decision today." Uh, I think it'll be Kansas or Kentucky, but uh, post-mortem on, on Hunter's decision, Brian Cook, his legacy, fans, uh, feelings about him, where you think he'll wind up? Um, I mean, it's disappointing, I guess. Uh, his you know, career at Michigan kind of ended with a bit of a thud, uh, and you know, the team around him wasn't great, uh, but uh, you know, I feel like uh, he's got a limited window to cash in, and he's he wants to cash in, and that's that's okay. Like, I, I'm, but his legacy at Michigan is not what it could have been. And if that's something that matters to you, then I don't think that's something. This is a move that you make. But he's got different priorities, and I think he's always been kind of wired that way. And we loved it when he was a Michigan player, and now we get the uh, flip side of that. Yeah, I have no bad feelings about Hunter at all, really. Uh, I wish he would say, and I think this might be Hunter-like, he would say, eh, I'm probably not going to be in the NBA. I got two years to play. I need to make money now for, for my future. And so I'm just getting more money at, at, at wherever I'm going than what I can get at Michigan. And I hope people appreciate that. I would say, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Do it. And, and I would have a, a higher regard for him uh, if, if, if that's the reality. And I assume that's what the reality is. Um, so, but in terms of, of Hunter at Michigan, you know, I don't have any bad feelings about that. You know, he's really sort of carried us uh, to the extent the team the last two years uh, needed it. He did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I learned long ago that you got to treat uh, treat gifts for what they are. If you don't get a gift, you don't get mad that you didn't get you didn't get a gift. You get a gift, you're happy that you received it. I'm happy for what we got from Hunter Dickinson. You know, is he going to be one of the guys who's you know he's is he is number one going up in the rafters? Hell no, no, right? And could that have been the case? Yes, and there are not a lot of guys who get that opportunity to be that meaningful to to a school. But that's not the only thing that matters in life. And maybe it matters to some guys. Maybe it doesn't matter to other guys. It was a gift that we had him for when we had him. You know, it's he's going to get paid. I think it's a good thing in general that players do get paid for. And he's going to, you know, he's he's a value. He's worth, was it $1.5 million a year is what they're talking, like $3 million total for two years. Like, I don't know if that's the real money, but because they, they always lie when those, those numbers come out. But he's... I'm worth shocked. that value to somebody and somebody's going to pay it. 
I do wish that Michigan's NIL situation was such that we could match anything anybody put forth. I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's going to be the case. It's not the way that Michigan wants to do things. I understand it. Um, but like we have a good thing here, and it would be great if we could just get to the point where, hey, if, if money's the problem, we've got money. So let's make it about everything else. And we're not really there. So go get paid, Hunter. I, I appreciate everything we got from you. And sorry that we couldn't give you more. Yeah, the dude, he doesn't seem interested in, in burning bridges on his way out the door. Uh, you know, all oh. the more reason, uh, in my opinion, to return that same energy on his way out. I agree. His number one being the rafters, but he isn't this pariah, at least to me. He's not a, a pariah either. And be interesting to see where he winds up. I, I, I tend to believe the $3 million is an embellishment. But yeah. do I believe <laughs> that Kentucky and Kansas are offering big dollars? Yeah, that's pretty easy to believe. Um, I mean, on your way out, you got to like, I mean, you're like, I always consider myself a Michigan man. Well, I mean, then you'd stay like, I, I don't, I mean, he did what he did. And like to sort of still claim this mantle it rubs me the wrong way. Like you made your decision, bro. Just, just go. Like, I, I don't, I don't need the like flowers on the way out. Like, <laughs> I need you. I to score buckets. I don't I don't need you to make a kissy face at me as you leave the door. So just 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 go. <laughs> Do not darken my doorstep with this flowery language. I know, it's I think it's, 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 it's he is he's a Michigan guy. He's a Michigan alum, all right? Ah. Uh, so, so wait, you know what? Here's the, here's the thing. Just go. This is a great segue. That's what Billy McCall decided to do. He decided to just go. And it wasn't, I mean, he's going to get a job. He's going to work somewhere. I listened, you know, he, even I know what Billy McCall brought to uh, Michigan hockey. So he is going to be an in-demand coach. But it was noteworthy to me, Brian, and I, I wonder if it says anything to you that he left before there was a known place or spot that he was leaving for. Uh, even if we expected his departure, what do you make of of Billy McCall's, or the announcement of Billy McCall's uh, uh, leaving the program. Well, you get passed over for the head job by a younger guy who's been on staff less than you have. And that's just not a situation that most people are going to stand. And I, I I think that his departure was a foregone conclusion. And just because he hasn't found a landing spot yet doesn't really mean a whole lot. Um, <clears throat> he will find a landing spot. He was terrific as the head coach. And I'm maybe the GM of a BCHL team. Um, he did a lot of great work at Michigan. Um, and I think that, you know, an NHL head coaching is maybe on the horizon for him. Not now. I think he might be an assistant in the league for a while, but I think he's got that capability. I think he's an excellent coach. And I think Michigan will be worse without him. I mean, Nerado should still uh, be able to recruit. Uh, but, you know, I, it's, it's disappointing because, you know, I'm sure that one of McCall's professional dreams was to be the head coach of Michigan hockey. And that doesn't seem like it's going to happen for him. So I, I understand the disappointment there. I understand why he's leaving, but it is a situation where you wish that you could, uh, could keep them both. You know, if it's true, I wish, uh, and I have a high regard for Nerado. If it's true, I wish he would say, and, and I don't think he has, but maybe he hasn't had the opportunity, but I wish he would say, you know, Losing Bill McCall will be a big loss to Michigan, that he did something that was unusual. He hung in here for a year. 
in difficult circumstances for him on a, on a personal level. He allowed this sort of transition from Mel to me to happen in a in a logical way. And, and I would hope that Narado at some point would come out and just really thank him uh, for that. And, uh, and uh, you know, I think losing McCall, I, from what I gather, he's a really good recruiter and he's really, he's really been a major part of bringing the talent into Michigan who's been here. And I also think uh, as Brian does, he's, he's, a, he's been a good coach. So I think this is a real loss for the program. I think he's going to be hard to replace. I mean, I'd like to keep Cade McNamara too, but the, yeah, the, the fact is that he, you know, he, he entered the portal and he's going to get yeah. picked up because he's, he's, he's a good coach. It's a little weird because college hockey doesn't necessarily um, cross over that much. I know that like, you know, you can go to Minnesota state and get your head coach if you're Wisconsin or something like that. But a lot of times there's just, you, you kind of recruit inside the program for your coaching staff. And obviously Michigan's done that. The other schools have done that too. So it's, tighter than you think it would be for a guy like him. Um, plus, everyone's already got their coaches in at this point. You know, it's May 4th. You're, you're going to have your, your head coach for next year already in place. Um, but he, he couldn't do it again. And if he didn't step out on his own, then no one was going to say, oh, this guy's available right now. Let's go get him. They were going to say, oh, this guy, you know, he, he, he could end up coaching in Michigan again next year. And the longer he does that, the more he looks like the guy who got passed over by Narado. It's the best thing for his career. Again, just like Hunter, be happy that we got what we got. You're, you're not supposed to be able to get that. It made the transition better. He recruited well. It doesn't seem like a bunch of Michigan hockey players are leaving because he's leaving. Everyone expected this. Everyone understands this. And he's a guy that you wish well. You only have one head coach in Michigan available. Now, if Narado sucks from now on, then you can turn around and be like, okay. <laughs> so it, it, this is an unfair question, and I'm stipulating that uh, before I ask it. But I, I wonder, even with it already, you know, the fact that Brandon Arado was a good hire, that's already been adjudicated. We, he was a good hire. They went to the Frozen Four. That was a really, really good move. But that being said, for anyone, Billy included, who feels like he was treated unfairly getting passed over, do they have a point? And why am I asking that? Because clearly there's a contingent within the Michigan family that feels that way. Is uh, We can listen to John U. Bacon to know that. So is that, a, is that legit? Is that feeling legitimate, Brian? Um, I just think it's a tough sell given what's in that report. Um, and, you know, I don't think that he was the source of any of that stuff, but he's he's not stand it up to it. And I just think that's a real difficult thing for a university in 2023 to overlook. And that's why I think his next gener next move is probably an NHL assistant. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that he's a bad guy or, or did anything wrong. It's just, you have this situation where the reports out there and nothing has no action has been taken for years. And I think that Ward is sort of blindsided by the reaction to it. And so it's just, politically difficult to give him the job and i'm sure that all the old hockey heads who are like this behavior is what hockey is like i mean it's just how we do it think it's a it's a silly and a stupid reason not to give a guy a job but that doesn't mean that they're right and we have to listen to them like <laughs> 
<laughs> like, like the the kind of like you know we have to break you down to build you up again thing from the eighties and stuff. Like <clears throat> that led to a lot of bad things. Like it led to Doctor Anderson, right? That sort of attitude about oh we need to toughen you up and this thing isn't important and it's not a big deal. Like <clears throat> I just don't think that's a tenable way to run a program and it shouldn't have been. And now it's not. So, yeah, I, I mean, we don't know. McCall wasn't in charge and we don't, I don't think really know what his attitudes were or what he did in relation to Mel and, and the problems in, in the hockey program. Uh, but I, I, I tend to agree with Brian is that you, we should have some indication that he was more proactive that he that he was more vocal, saying, you know, no, wait, this has to stop, and um, you know, we don't have any indication of that. Now, um, maybe he he talked to Mel and said, hey, wait, this has to stop, and 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 nothing happened. I don't know. I mean, we after Red know. left, he had his. The, they, it was set. Everyone knew what was going to happen. You know, Mel was the guy. They. They right. did. Uh, they they looked at other people. They, they they did their homework or whatever. Not. But when Red retired, Red had been here a long time. He'd established the program. It was Red's program. It was going to go to Mel Pearson next. Billy McCall right. understood that Mel Pearson was next in line, and then Billy McCall was next in line after Mel Pearson. It's just like when Bo left. You knew that Gary Moeller's in charge, and then Lloyd Carr is the next guy. You wouldn't just go out and get Cam Cameron, and put him over Gary Moeller at that point, right? You're going to go down the list and the list was set and the school I think is correct in not honoring that. I think it's good that the coat that you leave, you know, a, a plan, a succession plan after you, but that is not written in stone. That is not, and the school cannot get tied to that. And we had a change in circumstance. We had a report, we had a situation where Mel Pearson had to get fired and that changed things. And I think that it sucks for Billy. Cause I don't think that he like, it's not like the report says you can't hire this guy. It, it's it's a very vague situation. But circumstances change. The school has to follow the circumstances. They can't just follow the plan. But I think a lot of people spend a lot of time preparing the plan, understanding the plan, taking out, letting opportunities pass by because that was the plan. And now they're upset because they were on track and now the track's gone. Yeah. yeah. Uh Real quick, guys, with a few minutes we have remaining, uh, Ira told me, you know, you had the uh, the hockey convention, and he said one of the proposals that was brought up at the hockey convention, home venues in the postseason. So <laughs> I was just wondering, were you guys at the convention? I mean, it, it seems like a important <laughs> thing that they were no. doing down here. But did you hear the other thing that happened at the convention? Yeah, I heard, I heard that a guy, one of the coaches, tried to assault <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Or did assault him? Yeah, or did assault. Right. Yeah, it, like took a swing at a guy because this is. I was. It's it's Rico Blasi's staff, so it's not like I'm surprised. But yeah, so Michigan gets Josh Ernest out of St. Thomas, who is a freshman who is their second leading scorer, and like they're not happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but what is he? What is he going to expect? I mean, you're St. Thomas. If you've got decent players at, at St. Thomas, they're probably not staying there if Michigan or Minnesota or Wisconsin or Michigan State or anybody else is interested. Now, did they give so, out matching yeah. minors for this? Because I think that we ended the season three <laughs> minutes minor. under the record 
for penalty minutes in the oh, Big Ten. Right. <laughs> well, ma- matching minors wouldn't get us there. No, matching yeah. majors. We would need speak. matching majors on them. So this this, this yeah. Rico Blase dude sounds like the coaching version of Ty Domi. Like he's like he's out there trying to try to like that's his kind of presence. Am I off here? Well, he, he had a good program at Miami back yeah. in the '90s, and Michigan was in the same conference when that was still the CCHA. And those games were pretty heated. Yeah, he's he's a he's a fiery guy, to put it nicely. He's always been very upfront that he wants his teams to be quote tough, <laughs> right? And he wants them to be tough and physical. That's Blasi. And so I guess he wants his coaches to be the same. But uh, you know, so in any event, yeah. And it isn't like I mean, Josh Ernise was a big deal at at St. Thomas. I'm you know, for Michigan, he's probably not a he's not going to be a superstar hopefully he'll be a good solid player here you guys uh, and we only got a minute left but you you, you think that this is going to be a thing though home home ice home venues uh for uh hockey uh, college sites venues uh, for postseason i i hope so but i i don't see it happening just because most of the schools don't care and they like the advantages that come from being a fourth seed who can upset a one seed yeah mm-hmm. and the big 10 wants it uh, the 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 Big Ten and Big Ten coaches definitely want it, uh, but whether that's enough, uh, I don't know. It wouldn't happen before. I think the earliest it can happen is twenty six, twenty seven. There are a lot uh, of east schools. There's a lot of small east schools. They've been getting more of them. So like the there there have been more teams that have started hockey programs or come up to this level, and they're all that same kind of school where they're. You know, in the East, it's better to play in one of these venues. You have a better shot of beating Michigan for one. You have a bigger still. You know, they play in 2,000 seat arenas, right? So it's it's not a big deal for them to move a half an hour down the Catskills and and play in front of a larger crowd. Yeah, we got to get out of here. Great discussion as always. See you tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor Accumulus Station.